Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips Herb, Tax Girl. I'm a tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers and tax practitioners like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. This week, governments around the world began signaling that perhaps, after a couple of long years, the pandemic may be easing. On the financial front, the global economy has rebounded, and the IMF projects global GDP to grow 4.9% this year. Not as robust as 2021, but still growing. But is it enough? PwC recently asked 4,446 CEOs from 89 countries and territories about continued economic resilience. And to discuss those results and what it can mean for tax professionals, I've invited Catherine Kaminsky back to the show. Catherine is the vice chair, Trust Solutions co-leader of PwC, and is responsible for work performed by over 21,000 partners and staff, developing diverse teams, and driving innovation. Thank you so much for coming back to the show. Thanks for having me, Kelly. So I'm actually, I was really excited to get the survey because I think that one of the things that we've heard a lot about over the past years, all of the bad stuff. And while there was some of that (laughs) in the survey, (laughs) it was actually fairly optimistic, especially when it comes to the idea that the economy isn't going to stop. Because I think that was kind of the fear, right? Like we had a little bit of a lull during the pandemic. And I think the idea was what happens when things ease up? Will it get better? Will we see a downturn? And it looks like people are mostly optimistic. Yeah, I think it's really... It's a great way to, to, to say it. And optimism is, is really the key is that when you look at the survey, there is an incredible amount of optimism, even with everything going on, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about it, Kelly, there still is supply chain disruption. And obviously, you can't open the newspaper without reading about the great resignation. And on top of that, obviously, the ongoing pandemic. But even with all of that, there is still a sense of optimism. I thought statistics, I can't help it. All of us are accountants. And love statistics to just give you a sense on some of the statistics that I think gives you that real feeling of optimism. I think one being that 78% of US CEOs are either very or extremely confident about the prospects for revenue growth over the next three years. That really says a lot. Yeah, that's a huge number. Yeah. And I think that the the other thing that's really out there is the next 12 months, right? Three years, I you love three years, but 12 months is that 67% of CEOs are extremely confident about the prospects for revenue growth. So I think that, that to me, shows both short-term and long-term confidence about what's going to happen. And why do you think that is? Because I'm curious, because, you know, we've been through a lot and, and, you know, I think a lot of people still feel heavy. And then we're seeing that, you know, the effects of the great resignation. And then there's still, you know, the the other concerns about national security. and, And we'll get into, I think, some of that later. But why do you think people remain optimistic in the middle of what has been a very trying few years? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I think one of it is that I think that when you look and you see the cash in the system and seeing what people are doing and how they save, I think that helps the optimism. I think obviously the employment numbers, although there's the great resignation, there's still significant employment, you know, employment opportunities. And so I think it's it's a piece of that. And I think it's I think, you know, that there's a piece of learning to live in this new world is really important. So you have to 
sort of work through that and the optimism comes out with that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if some of it is also around the priorities that the CEOs have to start thinking about. And with that, you know, there is uh, optimism to see how their growth of their own company and how they sort of become agile for growth, right? Right. I think agility is really the theme of the last two years. And I think that is also showing that people are agile, which leads to optimism. Absolutely. And when you think about kind of the challenges that people are talking about, so overall, we've decided optimism. What are some of those challenges that they mentioned? Because there is, I mean, I'm as Pollyanna as the next person, but there are some real concerns coming up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, one to start with is you you can't not talk about workforce, right? And initiatives around workforce. So I think there's obviously still a significant concern about the workforce and their great resignation, but that's turning into then like, what do you do about it? So 56% updated their workforce initiatives four times a year, right? Where they're rethinking and how do you be more agile and how do you tie that to communication and transparency? So there's a concern for sure. And now people are resetting to think about how do you deal with that concern? And we're seeing it when we help our clients that the the, the, the whole sort of workforce is just such a huge, a huge piece of it. PwC obviously is huge and you guys have made a lot of adjustments. And we talked about that last time you were on the show. Do you think that other companies are responding to the workforce changes in the same way? Like, are you, when you talk about agility, do you think that these, especially bigger companies, are they concerned about the workforce because they're not willing to change? Or are they concerned about the workforce because they think even if they change, it's not enough? I think it's a great question. Great question. I think it's a mix of both. I think there's concern because, you know, people's turnover obviously are going higher. And there's lots of issues that go with that, right? The labor shortages that that's out there. And so I think the demand for their labor is an issue they're worried about and focused on. But I think what you are seeing is people coming up with different ways to respond to it. And that uh, the one piece that I did think was really interesting was the four times a year initiatives, Kelly, where when you used to think about people, many people do it once a year, right? They rethink initiatives, they go through things. Four times a year, I think, shows that the agility has to be there. So I think you're seeing both. And you can see it. I'm sure many people followed earnings results from some of the larger companies. And you can see, although revenue growth is up, so is cost. Many of that is associated with labor. So they are coming through also on the compensation side. But I think what people realize is compensation is not enough, right? You have to listen to what else the employees want. Right. And not to single out any, any company, and I won't name names, but there was a big announcement this week about a rather large company that let go a significant portion of his workforce. And it's not the first big round of layoffs that we've seen. How does that kind of reconcile with the labor shortage? Because it is interesting to me, and I I understand economics, so I don't want to suggest that like people are just laying off people. But do you think that some of this is a management, Not I don't want to use the word crisis, but failing? And again, not targeting any particular organization, but we have seen a few rounds of large layoffs in a in a, an economy where we're hearing that people can't hire fast enough. So how do you reconcile when companies are offloading employees at the same time that other companies are wanting desperately to hire? And again, understanding that there is some cyclical forces and external forces, but like in terms of management, do you think it's something that 
management needs to address? Because this is something I think we've heard kind of across the board. Like when people are leaving some of the jobs that they're leaving, it's because they're not happy and they feel like companies aren't listening. Do you do you think that that is going to need to lead to a change in management style? Or do you think it's just kind of a fluke of the economy right now? You know, it's interesting. I think it's two things. One is, you know, all statistics are, and everything you sort of read is, is always weighted out, right? So you're always going to have people in different situations. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, right? And so like every company has a story and you know through this, some have been winners and some have been losers. So obviously they have to look at their own, every company has to look at their own situation. And to your point, that's the economic side of it, mm-hmm. right? But I do think to your point that what we've seen and when we're working with our clients, we see it a lot is that it's critical that businesses have to, and management have to really look at what satisfies workers' demands, right? And, and balancing those, those out. And I think that the labor shortage is, 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 is big for certain areas. And then other places, you're right. We are seeing some elements of the economy where you see release of labor and hopefully, you know, because of the labor shortage, they'll be picked up quite quickly. Right. But I think you still have to, and it sort of goes to the point of how do you you know, use, everyone has to keep using the muscles as it relates to not only working and caring about your, your employees, but also just pure budgeting, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the math of all of that. And I think that's another topic that, you know, obviously inflation is out there a lot and the discussions are out there about what to do. And I think one of the themes that we see when we talk to our clients about that is just making sure the muscles as it relates to budgeting and budgeting in an inflationary environment that many people haven't done. Um, how do you do that to make sure there's no surprises? Right. And so when we talk about, again, you mentioned, um, we talked about resignation as being a challenge. One of the other things that kind of surprised me in the survey was the amount of concern about cyber attacks. And the reason it surprises me is not because I don't think that there are cyber attacks, because I know that there are. We just uh, (laughs) wrote about that with IRS and um, concerns about facial recognition technology and those kinds of things and breaches. So we know it's out there, right? But I, I think on some level, a lot of folks, not at high level corporate, because that's different, they're seeing it at a different place. But a lot of folks are kind of used to the idea that this is normal, right? Like, oh, my credit card information got hacked. Oh, my email address is on the dark web. Like, I think we're sort of getting used to this, which is why, and I'm not suggesting that's a good thing. I'm just saying, I think it's just something that we see so often. And and I get, you know, you get the notifications when your email has been scooped up. So I'm wondering why were those numbers so high? And what is the bigger concern? Because again, I, I I understand people worrying about their credit cards because that's a, you know, that's an immediate attack to their wallet. But on a corporate level, you know, what is the concern? So I think it's twofold. I think the first part of it is just you think about the work environment that people are in with working, you know, virtually at home. So there's a lot more implications to to that, right? It's more complicated than just all, you know, there's much there's more complications around that. And we're seeing that in the work we do with the cyber teams. And though, as much as you, Kelly, you mentioned that people are getting used to it, for the trust of the company, it's a still such a huge deal, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, even, even with an element of people have seen it and it's happened, I think that when you go back to sort of building trust and what, and, and that trusted relationship between the company and the customer, it's so essential that that thing, that part of it, that cyber part of having the potential to have any of those issues where trust is lost is still so important. And I think you can see that coming through in the CEO's results. 
What's really interesting to me is that actually more U.S. CEOs are concerned about about cyber than even global. Um, and it's you know 61% of U.S. CEOs, we're only 49% of global CEOs. And you're still reading, especially in the financial services space, it is the top concern for many for those CEOs. And I do think it goes back to trust. And you know, as much as we do see it, I still think that the implications, the trust implications to those companies are so large. And it is an area that we at PwC on our consulting side, we spend a lot of time with companies on because it is so important in building trust in the environment. Are companies pivoting to make changes or are they just fearful? I mean, and I don't mean that in a flip way, because I, I think sometimes, you know, you can be scared of something and not know what to do next. Yeah, I think they're constantly looking at it because also with agility comes, you know, with agility in this environment and the fibers changes to this, you know, to their own ecosystems and making sure they're they're pivoting and staying ahead of it, right? And putting controls in place that make sense, that mitigate and doing as much as they can. I think it's just a very important thing. Um, and I think as they look to the future and looking at different systems, different everything, it's just the number one risk they're very concerned about and focused on and really sort of putting that hate to say sort of accounting mindset, but that COSO, you know, control framework around everything they do. And cyber is a big, big part of it. What else are they concerned about? The other big, you know, interesting concern that you also see is just the macroeconomic volatility. And I think this last few weeks have shown that there's a good reason to be concerned about it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, those, those are something that, again, like you can control what you can control. And I think that their CEOs are responding and trying to really figure out how to work in this environment and concerned about what's coming. And I think you can see that in the environment what's happened in the last few weeks. I think you can see it with the inflationary environment. And I think the tie to that is like, how do you plan for it? What do you do? And then also to the, it's interesting that that's a big issue when you think about the optimism around growth. So I think it's, again, just being really resetting the conversation and figuring out how to make sure that they're hitting every risk that they can. Right. That wouldn't surprise many people. And then is around climate change, right? Like, I think you can see it's a concern and there's a lot of issues around it. Interestingly, as, as opposed to the cyber, on the global front, many, there's a higher percentage of concern about climate change than in the U.S., but it is on their list. And it's, you know, something that you can see increasing every year. I think some people were surprised that it wasn't higher. And I think some of that is just, there's so many other things on the list, really. And that's actually what I, what I was going to ask you about just now is because I was going to ask you when you talk about things that don't seem as concerning, there were three things that came up in the survey that were not as high as I thought they would be. And that was basically climate change related diversity and uh, gender representation. I was really surprised to see those as targets as low as they are, largely because we've been talking about it a lot, right? So I feel like it would be something that would be at the top of the list. And um, it was um, there was a, a bit in the survey when they were talking about creating value and outcomes and what are they looking at in terms of targets. And so, you know, greenhouse gas emissions were lower representation. And I know, again, a lot of this is tied to the way that companies are currently structured and the way that they compensate CEOs and the way that this is presented and plays out within the companies. But I was surprised to see that as low as it was because that you know again you you open the newspaper and and I'm media so I take responsibility for some of this but we make it seem like that is one of the top priorities in every company. 
Yeah, you know, I also uh, spent quite a bit of time looking at that to see if there's any trend line in terms of that. I think the first thing is just the significant amount of issues that are out there, right, to start Mm -hmm. with, and I think the time and attention. And then I also think, going back to sort of when we talked about great resignation, sort of the overall things that people are thinking about, I think that's an area that may be, in when they answer questions, they think about it in the totality of the workforce. So, you know, when we speak to a lot of CEOs, a lot of that, the CEOs, as they're thinking about it, are thinking about the flexibility of the workshops and they're thinking about an inclusive work environment through DNI networks. And so I think it's, it's in there in, in many different ways. I just think it didn't come out as strong as one specific topic. Right. I did think also to your point on the net zero commitments. I think that's another one where you can see that there's a like 29% are currently in development, the net, you know, their commitment. So that sort of shows that, and 22% have them, you put those together, you can see that's, you know, over, you know, 55, give or take my math, right? Percent are, 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 that's a big topic. They're just in different spots. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? The yeah. They're going with them. But I agree. It was something I also sort of looked at and, and started to see if there was a theme. And I do think some of the theme is there embedded in the other topics. But I don't think it's going away as a theme. And, and and also, I think that just the concern between global and U.S. is timing, you know, because if you think about it, as you know, even with tax policy, as it relates to ESG, the Europeans are a little ahead as it relates to making it. So I think it could just be, a, you know, a follow through. That's my opinion. Gotcha. And in terms of trends, since you brought up trends, what kinds of companies are expressing more optimism than others, because obviously all sectors are not created equal. We kind of referenced that a little earlier where you are seeing some companies that are letting employees go. What kind of, uh, what areas of companies do we expect to see continued growth in? Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, very broad brush, as you would expect, technology, financial services, even retail are showing, you know, optimism with everything going on. So I think in general, it's nearly pretty much all of our sectors. I think some higher than others. And I think that the counterbalance to the optimism is all those sectors are the ones that are also very focused on people, right? So I think, you know, with with the optimism, they also, there's an absolute realization that for that optimism to continue and for the growth to come, they have to take care of their people and, and keep their people. Right. I have a question, Just and this may not be something you know off the top of your head, but when they're characterizing in the survey, when they're characterizing different kinds of companies, one of the things that I've been struck by, because we've been talking about it a lot over the past year, are how companies are shifting in ways that they didn't before. And since you brought up retail, that's an excellent example of companies who, you know, for many, many years, we think of retail as, as brick and mortar. And now, of course, and, you know, we do a little online shopping, but now there are different technology companies that make that a different experience. So, you know, maybe it's DoorDash that's bringing you your food from the hospitality industry, or maybe it's Instacart that's bringing you your groceries, right? So on the retail side, do you think, and and I don't know, again, you might not know the answer to this, but do you think we're still going to keep segregating industries in that way? Because I don't even think of groceries as, in my mind, as like any kind of retail anymore, because I think of it just wholly on the computer. I mean, I, I can't tell you the last time I've been in a grocery store. And I wonder if the changes in the way that we do business are going to change the way that we categorize companies. Because you can't, you know, there was a day when a frame shop was always going to be, you know, goods and services. But now a lot of the frame shops 
you can download on your computer instructions on how to do it and they'll send you the parts and you can do it yourself. And, you know, is that really still retail? And I wonder if we're going to see shifts in the way that we characterize things because of the shifts that we've made, especially in a post-pandemic world. Yeah, no, I think, Kelly, it's a great point. I don't know for our survey what we do, but you're right. You see it a lot where people will say we're not actually a retail, we're, you know, we're more of a technology company, right? You've seen it even in the financial services space when mm-hmm. you think about the number of technologists that they need to hire. So I think it's a great question. I'm not sure, you know, sick codes will ever change, but I think it's a great point. And I think when we work with companies and they look at themselves, they look at themselves with different lenses and making sure that they address the risks of each of those lenses is really important, which I think ties back a little bit to your point around side, right? Is that as more and more are having direct interaction with customers, that could also be, you know, through their technology, why cyber, you know, risks in their minds go up. So I think it's a great question. And, and I'll follow up with you after to see if we, we've you know, done any major changes to our classifications, because I just don't know the answer. But I get your point. It's a really good one. Oh, thanks. And and again, I'm not sure that we're even there yet. I was just kind of thinking about it in, in that way, because I know that there are companies that, again, that are now solely online or they're very closely allied with tech companies. And when you look at, especially in the survey, when you see like, where are the innovation? Where's the innovation? Where's the growth? You know, the people that are most optimistic at the top are tech companies, yeah. you know, and that's such a broad, a broad categorization. So I wasn't sure like how it was categorized for the survey. But what are some of the other things that were in the survey that you found interesting or either in terms of optimistic or just surprising? Yeah, I thought if you were right with that, one of the things I thought I would just quickly move to is tax, right? Like, oh, sure. Tax implications <laughs> of our survey findings, because you and I have always talked about making sure that taxes and everything we do, right? So, so we're always trying to find to make sure like, is there any sort of strategic things that are coming out? And I think there are, I think, you know, that no, no different than I would have said to you, you know, six months ago, and that you know, tax plan, planning is everywhere, right? right. As yes. they look at their broader strategies, and companies are changing strategies and looking at incentives and looking at different sort of just desirable outcomes as tax. And so I think we see a really great spot for tax directors to have the conversations, to have a seat at the table. And, you know, the other thing is, um, the shifting of expectations around trust and what does that mean and how does that with many different stakeholders, where does tax fit in? And, you know, I always love this. I love the fact that tax expertise sits everywhere within the business strategy. And mm-hmm. I think the survey shows how important it is and that tax has a seat at the table when it, you know, you know where you and I talked about, whether it be supply chain planning, whether it be people planning, whether it be, you know, revenue planning. Tax has a seat, and you can see there's a lot on CEOs' minds. So there's lots for the tax function and the tax directors to do. And then the last thing I would leave with is like very much that digitalization of everything is out there, and we're seeing that when we go in and do finance transformation work. And tax has a huge seat at that table. So how do you digitize the tax department, and where does tax come in in, in finance transformation? Because I think some people don't always realize that actually tax and data are so integrated and that touches more in the company than even the global, you know, controller does because tax uses so much of the data. And so having a seat at the table around transformation and the digitization of data is a huge place for tax. And we're seeing that. And and it's a great seat at the table. So 
I wanted to make sure I brought some tax in, Kelly. So that's how I. Yes, I thank you. Yeah. Well, and, and since you brought it up, what kinds of impacts do you think? And obviously, no one has crystal ball, but what kind of impacts do you expect, especially in, in the next survey? Because 2023 is going to be a pivotal year for international companies, multinational companies with the OECD. Do you? Obviously, the chatter is there now because it's going to impact their long-term growth. Are you sensing like hesitancy amongst CEOs about what's coming? Are you sensing enthusiasm, indifference? What are you hearing? I think, you know, Kelly, one of the things is that I'm hearing the most is just a little bit of a re-education for some of CEOs around what are the implications of OECD. Because if you think about the last year, there's been such a focus on U.S. tax policy. And in our past surveys, we've seen that discrepancy where mm-hmm. CFOs and CEOs are much more concerned about U.S. tax policy, where more tax directors have been, especially in multinationals, have been more focused on international right, right. implications. And so I think one of the conversations we see a lot with our clients is around the conversation of, okay, you know, although U.S. tax policy is not completely settled down, it isn't, at, you know, and who knows when it's going to come back on the agenda, which could be very soon. But is, is, this is a time to maybe re, re-energize the conversation around, actually, there's a lot happening internationally and bringing that into their seat at the table when people are looking at strategy and planning. So I would say that's a really big theme because it is big, right? There's a lot going on and it's complicated. And right. with the backdrop of everything having happened in the U.S., it's now like re-sort of re-sitting down and having those conversations that although U.S. you know stuff has quieted down just a little bit, international stuff has not. And when you talk about conversations and seats to the table, I think my listeners in particular would be really interested to know how involved, obviously this is just your window right into this, but how involved are CEOs willing to be on the tax planning side? Um, And the reason I ask is because a lot of the listeners, I know are tax practitioners that work with small to mid-sized companies. And I work with companies that are, once they get into seven or eight figures, um, which is, you know, nowhere near what the the multinationals are bringing, but with the seven or eight figures, the top, the folks at the top are often, you know, I just want to run the company. You take care of the tax pieces, right? Like they're, they're very, they're often unwilling. I don't know if it's unwilling, but they're so busy that they're often not excited about, let's say, sitting down and thinking about what the long-term planning would look like on the tax piece. They just want to see numbers. They just want to know what they need to do. Do those same kind of kind of conversations get mirrored in bigger corporations? Or is there really like, you know, you mentioned that tax is incorporated into all of these facets. Is it something that's always top of mind at the very top as well? Or is it just something that, you know, the accountants and the tax lawyers are always poking at them saying, don't forget? No, I think it's it's a balance, I would say. I think many CEOs and CFOs are very interested in it. And it's the way it's presented, right? You have to make sure that no different than, you know, when a CFO speaks to a CEO about major sort of stuff going on from an accounting perspective, it's really finding that, you know, the top things, what the impact is, and sort of really focusing it and tying it to the impact of the company itself versus sort of broad brush commentary. Mm-hmm. And I think when that gets done by tax directors, and many do it very well, the focus is there, right? And it's also making sure that, you know, it's here's what could be coming, here's what the potential implications, here's worst case, here's best case, and this is what we're thinking about. And this is how we can, you know, work with you on it. So I think many CEOs are very focused on it. 
And I think when a tech director presents it in a way and gets engaged early, it's always extremely helpful. And so are they going to be in the numbers, you know, in terms of every every number? No. But where you see some great tech directors do is sort of like monthly updates on this on the issues to the CEOs, but quick, right? Through the CFO, depending right. who they report to. But I don't think I do think it has a spot at the table. And I think the point on having a seat at the table is just making sure you're there early. And so I think you know, many direct tech directors do, do it so well. I think it's just sometimes the people in the room who are not always the CEOs, it's other, you know, other business partners sometimes just need to be reminded that there's tax implications, if you know what I mean. Oh, sure. And so kind of the last point, I think it's something that was mentioned in the survey briefly, but it's something that I know my listeners think about all the time. Um, when you talk about what are the next initiatives, what are CEOs thinking about? One of the pieces that came up in the survey, which again, I would expect to see on a small to mid-sized business level. I didn't expect to see it as mentioned the way it was in this survey, was this whole idea of secession, right? Because we think about secession planning a lot in small to mid-sized businesses, because if you are the herb and the herb law firm and you're no longer around, what comes next, right? So that's really important. I was really surprised. And I, and again, that just, I think it shows a little bit that I don't, you know, follow the day-to-day operations of, of all multinational corporations, but, you know, succession, how important is it to companies and how often does this kind of get talked about? And, and it's funny because, you know, I, I don't know that I would be thinking about it as much except for not only was it in the survey, but we've sort of seen this. And again, some big companies lately with talk of, you know, CEOs stepping down, perhaps reshifting their priorities. Do they want to continue to be involved? And they're, you know, the big names. So we're looking at, you know, Musk and Zuckerberg and other people. And how often is this an issue? Is this the first time you've seen it in this survey? Is this an ongoing conversation that you have and with multinationals? Yeah, I think it's an ongoing conversation, Kelly. I think it's something that you see in the boardroom. It's their responsibility to be focused on succession. And honestly, I think it also has the DNI attributes. It just doesn't come out as a DNI thing. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's very focused on it to make sure that there's a really good plan to keep, to, you know, keep the conversation going so that if anything happens, there's a plan. No, every company is really focused on it because the shareholders expect there to be a good succession plan. So the, right. the company is broader than one person. And so we do see it. We, we, I wasn't overly shocked to see it because it's very high on the minds of boards, therefore high on the minds of CEOs because the boards are very focused on working with the CEOs on succession planning. And I think it does tie to other attributes of what's going on. And just with, I think the last two years with all the changes and, you know, going back to agility and thinking through and reimagining, I think it's just such an important part to point to, to the to the boards and to the CEOs. Right. And if you're had like one piece or one takeaway for tax and accounting and legal professionals as it relates to kind of the answers that were given and and where the economy seems to be heading and what comes next, what would the big takeaway or the big advice be in terms of maybe what to watch for or what to be cognizant of? moving forward? Sure. I would say one is agility. I think, you know, the more agile all of us are, the better, which ties to recalibrating our skills and whether it be, you know, thinking things through from, can you digitalize something? Can you transform something to make it more efficient? So you need to to use, you know, that your workforce has even more interesting tasks to do. I think that's a really big theme that comes out that I think about. 
And then I also think is sort of reimagining how you can collaborate with your other members of your team is really, you know, again, to get the best of the people and also so that the people have the best experience. And I think that the last thing when I go through a lot of this and the optimism is so exciting and to tie it back to like, we have to have fun again in the workforce. Right. right? Like this is, <laughs> and, and, you know, and so I would say that as, you know, the fun, the connectivity in this new environment and being agile is really important. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think that this was, again, a conversation that I think a lot of my listeners in particular don't get to hear and they're very interested in. So thank you so much. Of course. Before you go, I have a couple of quick, quick fire questions um, (laughs) that I've been asking my guests. So uh, just a few. So my first one is if you could have dinner with one person who's alive today, who would it be? Lady Gaga. <laughs> really? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Just out of curiosity. I just think she's really interesting and like her agility and everything she's done. I just, I think, and she's a strong, powerful woman. I, I just would love it. That's awesome. What is your favorite tax code section or reg? Gosh, Kelly, that one, I don't know. I think I would say I always liked subchapter M for some reason. Really? That's yeah. the first time I've heard that one. <laughs> what would you consider your superpower? Oh, I hope authenticity. Oh, nice. That's nice. And then finally, tax Twitter would want to know pancakes or waffles? Oh, pancakes for sure. Cottage cheese pancakes made by one of my kids. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here today. If folks wanted to find you either on social or on the web and you wanted to be found, where would you send them? I would send them to LinkedIn, Catherine Kaminsky, and I post and I love hearing from people. So anything, I'm there. Awesome. Thank you again for stopping by. Thanks, Kelly. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.